Let's stand up and look at Romans 4, verses 16 through 25. For this reason it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of all of us. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations. According to what was said, so numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. He did, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he, only, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words it was reckoned to him were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses, and was raised for our justification. Father, we thank you for this morning and time to be together. And Lord, we pray in these few moments that you open our hearts and minds. May they be open to your spirit. May your spirit transform us and mold us more into your image. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So there's this this thing between uh, heroes and role models. And one of my heroes in life is Hank Aaron. Always has been. Uh, in fact, my dog is named Hank Aaron. I have read uh, every book that has been written on Hank Aaron. My Nana, for Christmas one time, was able to get me a Hank Aaron autographed baseball. Hank Aaron is my hero. Everything he's ever done, I know. He's the home run champ, not anybody else. He didn't take steroids. I know how he hit home runs. I can tell you how he learned how to swing. I can tell you the intricacies of Hank Aaron's baseball swing. I know know everything. But that's a hero. I've never met Hank Aaron. I I don't know him personally. I know him through the books that I've read and through the videos that I've watched But then there's role models, and role models are a little bit different. Role models uh, are heroes, kind of, sort of, in, in their own way, but role models are those people who we know. People who we really know. We know. We know about them. We know their character. We know their story. We've probably been a part of their story at some time. Most of us in here probably have people who we know who we would consider as role models. People who we'd like to emulate. Little pieces of their life that we would like to take and try to implant into our life so that we can be like them. We know who a role model is. And so when Paul invokes the name of Abraham in Romans 4, 1 through 2, at the beginning of the chapter, when he invokes Abraham, you can imagine the, those from the Jewish heritage and the Jewish faith, their, their ears kind of perk up a bit. Their ears kind of lift up as they hear that, that 
Paul would begin this paragraph with, what then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor? I mean, Abraham is both father of the faith and also role model for most in the Jewish heritage. Abraham was to, the, was to whom the covenant of God was initiated and where life in the covenant began. Within the life of Abraham, we find obedience and faith and obedience to God's law, as we're going to see here in a minute. More importantly, to circumcision. I know we are not quite done. I know we are not quite done with that, but we have to see what Paul's doing here. Paul is taking the story of Abraham, as we'll read, and reinterpreting that story through what God has done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I think we have to appreciate what Paul is doing here because this is kind of a bold move for Paul. It was a bold move for Paul a few weeks ago to talk about circumcision in the way that he did. And it was a bold move last week for Paul to speak about, and thank you to Justin uh, for allowing me to go skiing, so that, and, 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 he could, and he preached, but I appreciate Justin as he talked last week about uh, what God was doing in, in the world, and it was only God who could declare our lives justified before God. It was only God who could deliver us, not by our works or actions. And so Paul now, taking all that from, from the end of uh, chapter 2 to chapter 3 and now to f- chapter 4, Paul now uses all of this in what he's been reading, read, uh, writing and reading about, and he uses it to interpret and reinterpret the Abrahamic story. And in the words of Scott McKnight, he presses home this big point, these big points, that there is one God, that works of the Torah have never justified anyone, Christ was faithful, justification comes by faith, and Jews and Gentiles are justified in the exact same way. And ready for this? Jews and Gentiles find their role model in the life of Abraham. Now that's a bold move too when you've had the corner market on the life of Abraham. When Abraham has been your father and your role model, but not yours, because you don't know him like we know him. It's a big move, and it's a big reinterpretation by Paul to do this. This reinterpretation of the story is because for Paul, what God did through Christ, what God did through the life of Christ reinterprets reinterprets everything that Abraham did as we look at the story. In fact, as you look at the totality of the story, Paul will actually start in a different place than Abraham. And if you look at the story and we think about what Paul's been speaking about the law, notice that Paul doesn't use the story of Moses. That's who received the law. Paul actually uses the story of Abraham. It seems difficult for Paul to do this, but Paul understands one thing, that Jesus is the best answer and clue when we read Scripture always. The best answer we could ever give is Jesus. We sometimes think it's a silly answer. We ask kids a a question, and they say, Jesus, it's not the wrong answer. And Paul knows that Jesus is the best answer and the best clue for understanding what God is doing through all of this. And so Paul in the text begins riffing on the story of Genesis 15. Primarily, he goes to Genesis 15, verses 5 and 6. 
Where in the story it says, he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and count the stars. If you are able to count them. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Beginning in the, with the first section of chapter 4, Paul is arguing that Abraham did not receive his reward based on something that he did. This kind of works idea, right? So he didn't get it through that. And so in verse 2, Paul will say, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to one who without works trusts him, who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. Get that word gift in your head because it's going to pop up in the next few chapters, this idea of gift. But Paul says it's not a works idea. Why? Because the promise to Abraham came before the sign of faithfulness, which was circumcision. Now we have already seen Paul relativize circumcision in chapter 2, but Paul goes deeper and speaks to Abraham's justification before God happening, before, uh, 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 before God happening before circumcision. Abraham was made right before God by God when Abraham believed and trusted that God would keep the promise. When Abraham believed and trusted that God would keep the promise. In fact, in, it's Genesis 15 not Genesis 17, which is Abraham's circumcision, that Paul uses here. It's Genesis 15, not Genesis 17, when God made God's covenant with Abraham. There's that whole kind of wild scene at night with God and Abraham, you know, an animal that gets divided in half. The covenant that has bound God to Abraham, and as we see in Paul's story, now binds God to all humanity, both Jew and Gentile. God's fidelity towards humanity finds its place within the story of faith, not circumcision. The story of faith and not works. Here is what Paul is up to in the story, as Michael Gorman says. And I like how he says it here. He says, Paul read, reads Abraham's story as a story of a sinner, a Gentile, a Jew, and a Christian. A justified Forgiven believer brought from death to life. Abraham is Paul's everyman. When you read the story, you have to realize that when Abraham started, he wasn't a Jew. And he wasn't a Christian. He was a guy in a pagan country, right? And if you start reading it through that way, then you see that Abraham was a sinner. He was a Gentile. He would have been considered a Gentile before there were actual Gentiles and all that. He became a Jew with circumcision. But then he believed in this whole life of after this whole life after death thing. Christian. We see he was justified not by anything he did, but by the works of God. And he was forgiven. Sounds like all of our stories, does it not? Now that's quite a move by Paul. Justification is conferred upon Abraham at belief as Justin talked about last week and as we see in Romans 3.26 as Justin talked about, it was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. God is not the God of the Jew but also the God of the Gentile. That's good news for you and I. 
God has been in the business of reconciling the world to God from the beginning when sin entered the world, as we begin to see in Romans 1. God's salvation story, starting back in Genesis, has been the grand narrative, what God has been up to from in this book that we call the Bible. This is what God is doing, saving the world, reconciling the world to him. It is by Abraham's faith and Abraham's trust. And notice what Paul says in verse 416 next. By God's grace, he says in verse 4, in verse 16, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. All of this rests on grace. It is God's grace. It is God's loving kindness that opens the door for all of us to share in the promise of Abraham. So what do we do with it? I can see what Paul is doing here. Most of us, as we read, might be able to see what Paul is doing here now, linking Abraham to both Jew and Gentile and showing how God kicked open the door through Abraham that faith, that faith in Christ links us to the promise. So what does that mean for us? Well, Paul tells us in the reading this morning that Abraham now, Abraham's life has become our model for faith. So those role models that we have in life, those people who we want to take bits and pieces of their life and say, I, could, I want to be like that, right? I want to be that kind of person when I grow up. I want, to, I want to treat people the way this person does. They're my role model. What Paul is now saying is that Abraham becomes our role model for faith and belief and what it looks like to move forward together in this life. Notice what Paul says it looks like. It looks like the story of Abraham. It looks like a man with the odds stacked against him, with God's promise to Abraham feeling audacious and almost impossible. You're going to be the father of nations. You're almost 100, but you're going to have a kid. It would take a faith in the impossible that God could do what God said God would do. It would take something beyond biology for Abraham to become the father of nations. It would take the resurrection power of God. It would take faith in a resurrection. Notice how Paul kind of frames the story, hoping against hope. He believed he would become a father. Why? Because his, he was as good as, notice what Paul says. I like how he says it. I would never say this about anybody here. He was as good as dead. Almost 100. And his wife's womb was barren. Notice the language there. It's the language of death. It's the language of darkness. And yet, Abraham believed in a resurrection. Abraham believed that, li that God could make life where life wasn't possible. And so what does this mean for us? It means, honestly, that faith, didn't, faith isn't easy. If we know the Abraham story, we know that faith didn't come easy to Abraham at all. If we know the story of Abraham as Paul did, we know that there were bumps in the road when it came to faith for Abraham. Faith in the words of Frederick Beekner is a process in our life. There will be moments when all we can do is laugh at the promises made because it is impossible to imagine that God could do them. That all we can do is just laugh at the idea that God would give a son to somebody who's 100 years old. Faith will have moments when we just doubt, and we will. We look at the story of Abraham, and we notice that Sarah was like, I mean, I'm a bit old, but there's this, you know, maidservant over here who's not. Maybe we can go ahead and kickstart God's covenant and promise this way. Faith will have its moments of doubt. I know we don't like the word, 
I know that if we think about faith and doubt, we kind of cringe a little bit and say, well, not me, I've never doubted. You're human, right? Don't tell me you haven't tried to hedge the bet with God before. Don't even tell me you haven't tried to, you know, make a negotiate with God. God, I promise if you give me this, I will go to church every day of my life. Just make sure this happens, right? Don't tell me you haven't done it. The story of Abraham shows us that that's part of the human life. It's part of life with God. Faith is a difficult walk. I know doubt is hard, and some might get prickly, but we can't ignore the very real moments in Abraham's life, and we can't ignore the very real moments in our life when it just we struggle. And yet through it all, through all of this, we can't help but see that it was Abraham's faith and trust that God would do it. That grace was present. That Abraham's faith rested on this grace of God. No matter what Abraham did, however crazy it was, Abraham, however Abraham tried to facilitate or move God's promise forward, God continued to walk with Abraham, and Abraham continued to walk with God. Even in the moments of doubt, Abraham continued to walk with God, and God didn't say, like, well, you messed up, I'm done. God continued to walk with Abraham. This faith in a God that can bring life out of death, the faith that believes a barren womb can and will produce life, is Paul's kind of intersection for us today and where Christ becomes the key. As we see in verses 4 through 19 through 20, as we talk about this idea of death and life, the God in the story of Abraham who declared a barren womb alive is the same God who raised Jesus from the dead. The impossible made possible. Abraham's faith that God could do some form of resurrection in the story is what we hold on to today. It is the faith that Paul says we can now be, that can now be reckoned to us as righteousness. We are the people who believe in resurrection. We are the people that believe in Christ. God can do the impossible. It is that same faith in the God who raises Jesus from the dead that is now reckoned to us as well. It is not what we do and how we do it, and then God justifies us. No, it is through our faith, our continued faith walk with God through Christ, through the ups and through the downs, through the peaks and through the valleys. In the moments we try to do it ourselves, and in the moments that we just give up, it's Abraham's life. Abraham's life is found in the faith and hope that God is the one who justifies and who justifies a sinner. Our life is rooted, our faith is rooted in a God who will justify us. Not for anything we did, but just take the first step of belief. Just believe. Just trust that God is the God who rose Jesus from the dead. It's nothing we did. All we can do is believe in something that feels really hard to believe in. But it's the faith and the hope that we put ourselves in. If you were here on Friday as we honored a good man, Ken, there's a reason why Christians, as we sit here in a memorial service and mourn the loss of somebody, can also have joy in our voices knowing that there is a second resurrection and knowing that God is the God who says that death is not the end. Abraham's faith is a witness to what Paul is calling all of us to today, a faith that holds fast and trusts that out of nothing God will do something. 
What else can I say about the workings of faith? Well, it's, it's a difficult subject, faith, and it's, uh, it's not nearly as easy as it sounds, but the best thing I could find is, is this thing. So uh, we probably all read this week that Jimmy Carter went into hospice, right? Uh, uh, the former president, who's now 98 years old, has entered hospice, and he's re- he was been reflecting on his life. And one of the many articles, and, and, and as I was reading, one of the many articles I found, he said this about life and death. It is incompatible for any Christian not to believe in life after death. Though he admitted he had wrestled with his own doubts throughout his life. Carter said that after he was diagnosed with brain cancer in 2015, I assumed naturally that I was going to die very quickly. I obviously prayed about it, he said. I didn't ask God to let me live, but I just asked God to give me a proper attitude towards death. And I found that I was absolutely and completely at peace. 39th president, who was served from 1977 to 1981, continued to say, it didn't really matter to me whether I died or lived, except I was going to miss my family, and I'd miss my work, and I'd miss teaching Sunday school. And he said this again, and he said this then. He's never since then doubted that he will live again. And maybe that's faith. Faith gives us the energy to move into today and to move into tomorrow and to move into the days to come. Faith found in the God who brings life out of death, faith found in resurrection, it helps us get up in the morning. It's the assurance that while we don't know what we're always doing, it's the assurance and hope that God's walking with us through every moment. It's the hope that even in the darkest moments we'll find light. Faith is to trust that while we don't know everything, we know the one who does. And faith is believing that your being made right before God is secured and that you are good. Faith is believing that you are secured and you are good before God because there ain't nothing you can do about it. Faith, like Abraham and Sarah, is laughing because sometimes that's just what you have to do in this life. Faith is hard, but our role model is Abraham. And we see that through his crazy story, which is our story, that God still walks with us. And so why not laugh a little bit at this life? And realize that God's got you. If you have any needs this morning, if you have any concerns, we'll have elders up front. We'll have, we have members sitting next to you who will pray with you as well. But come now as we stand, as we sing.